We carry throughout our lives experiences, events, or accidents that change us as individuals in significant ways. Welcome to First Time Talks, a weekly podcast hosted by Luis Miron about first-time experiences. For today's season finale, we talked about immigrating to the United States at a young age, a topic very special to me. I had a first-time talk with Christopher Farias, who at five years old immigrated to the U.S. with his mom and younger brother. Chris and I, like millions of children who were brought to the U.S., call this country our home. We are both part of the immigration policy, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, known as DACA, a policy passed during the Obama administration in 2012. This granted those who met several guidelines to request consideration of deferred action. After approval, they are given a social security number and a work permit that is subject to renewal every two years. During the last four years under the Trump administration, the policy was under constant attack as he promised to end it. Despite the president's legal efforts, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of DACA and the millions of dreamers. Now, under the Biden administration, the policy has been restored to the original guidelines and Biden promised a pass to citizenship. During my talk with Chris, he shared his journey of coming to El Norte and the challenges he experienced as an undocumented immigrant. Something that stood out to me during our conversation is while in high school, a teacher told Chris that he would not go to college because immigrants only do construction after graduating. Fast forward to now, after several obstacles and challenges, Chris is the first in his family to graduate from a four-year university, proving that dreams have no borders. Christopher, uh, welcome to the show. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. I just got off work. Uh, now I'm talking to you. It's Tuesday, so we're almost there, kind of. <laughs> almost to the weekend, right? <laughs> yeah. So obviously, you know, this episode is about um, immigration and, you know, like um, that experience of like coming to a different country. Specifically, this topic is about you coming to the U.S. and you being a dreamer. I myself, I'm part of the program. So we're going to have a conversation about, you know, immigration, being away from home and being here now, like being in the U.S., being in your new home and things like that and issues that you come up being an immigrant. But before we get into that, um, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? Okay. Uh, so I was born in Uruapan, Michoacan, Mexico. I am the oldest of three. Um, I came to the U.S. when I was five years old um with my mom and my little brother he was three years old um i live in i grew up i basically grew up in the la county i was able to go to college i went to cal state northridge i graduated with a uh, bachelor's degree in broadcast journalism and a minor in spanish language journalism and right now I am a news producer in Bakersfield. Um, and yeah, I'm a dreamer. <laughs> um, do you want me to go more into detail with that? Um, sure, if you want. Okay. Well, let's talk, about, um, let's talk a little bit okay. about, you know, you talked about that you're the oldest of three, right? Right. Well, that, mean, that means that one of your brother was born in the US, right? Yes, yes, correct. Tell me a little bit about that difference of your brother, one of your brothers being born here and you being born in Mexico and growing up. But you, I mean, you, you guys, what's the 
the age difference between your youngest brother and you? Okay, so the age difference between my little brother and I is eight years old, eight years. Um, so I think growing up with him, it, I never could tell that there was a difference. I mean, I feel like he was just a child, just like I was uh, for the longest time. Um, but I think I started noticing small differences between our citizenship status now that he's in high school. I think for me, like when I started high school, I didn't have as many dreams as he has right now. I think back when I started school, you know, I thought I might graduate. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I know I'm not going to go to college. Like, I don't really want to pursue a career because I'm undocumented. So, like, there's just so many other things that I think I was worried about when I was his age. And for him, I will say he has it a little bit easier in terms of um, now, he, you know, he's, he's a citizen, so he has all these other resources that I didn't have um, when I was in high school. So like right now, he is a senior and he's about to graduate. And um, for me, like when I was a senior and I was about to graduate, I knew that I couldn't really study out of state because it would be incredibly um, expensive. Uh, I was also terrified of going to a different place where maybe just people wouldn't look like me anymore. Um, and having, you know, Spanish was my first language and just kind of being so rooted to my culture. Um, I think with him, he, he's been very privileged to, you know, go to a school where they have resources that are for him. I think my my high school had resources that really weren't for me. Um, for example, when we would have like college recruiters come and they would talk about, you know, all of these like study abroad programs or um, like I said, studying out of state. And then with him, like he can do all of that. And it's so nice. I mean, I, I want him to study out of state. I push him to go study out of state. Um, for me, when I was applying, I had to do, you know, like the Dream Act um, stuff. I had to apply for, um, like, for financial aid through the Dream Act, and then with him, it's like the FAFSA. So it's like I'm helping him, but it's it's little processes that I didn't really go through that um, I can only help him so much sometimes. Like, there's all these other scholarships that he can apply to that I couldn't apply to. Um, so in a way, it's kind of like a first time experience for me too, because um, I didn't get to live through that experience. Um, and I mean, I think, I think for him, when I compare myself, for him going to college, it's kind of like, he always knew he was going to go to college, like he always knew he had that opportunity. Um, so he doesn't see it as much as survival, like I did. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, for me, like going to college was the, the only way I could survive in my community you know I had to go to college like I have to get an education um I have to have a good job and then for him like he doesn't really understand that struggle and I mean I don't blame him you know like he he does have the resources like fortunately to say like you know I can go to whatever college I want to in whatever state in whatever country and I won't you know it, it won't be that bad um so yeah like little differences like that um he doesn't understand, you know, like what it means to leave your homeland behind, you know, like he went to Mexico for the first time, I think like five years ago. 
And, like, sure, he liked it, but it was more of, like, a trip for him. You know, he met strangers that he'd never, ever met. And I know that if I was... It was definitely more of a vacation, yeah. And I know that for me, I mean, it's been almost 20 years since I've been in Mexico. So if I were to go, like, I'd probably cry all the time and just I'd probably want to go back to my kindergarten and, you know, just kind of, like, relive little moments that I still kind of remember. Um, so yeah, just kind of, you know, differences like that for sure. Tell me, tell me, I mean, you were five years old. I don't know if you can remember a lot from it, but tell me what it was like you leaving and, you know, yeah. what, what did your mom say to you? Like, or, you know, what was, what was that experience like? Yeah. Um, I think I actually remember a lot of my experience immigrating to the U S because I missed Mexico for such a long time. Like I actually like did not like being here my first years um so I remember I was in kindergarten I was about to finish my kindergarten course or year um it was in April I went to class so it was a normal day and when I came home from school all of our things were packed all of them and my dad had already immigrated to the U.S. two years prior to that so I mean, I missed my dad. And what my mom told my brother and I was that we were going to go see my dad. Um, and that was kind of really it. You know, it's like, oh, we're going to go see your dad. We're going to go on a bus and go see your dad. So as a child, like, you're excited. Like, you don't really think, like, we're actually going to a different country. Like, mm-hmm. we're, you know, it's going to be a whole new life. For me, at that very moment, it was like, okay, I'm, I'm happy. Um, I remember going to my grandma's house which is where I kind of grew up and I spent most of my like weekends at um we were there and then all of the family kind of just started coming and they were crying they were hugging me my brother my mom like really really hard really really tight and I didn't really understand like you know why why are they crying so much like I'm just I'm gonna go see my dad um so we we got on the bus other families were on that bus too. And I remember looking out the window and my entire family was outside and everyone was like, just crying. Um, it, it felt weird. I wasn't sad at all. I was just, you know, like I said, I'm like in my mind, I'm gonna be back. Uh, so from, so that was in Uruapan. From Uruapan, we eventually made our way up to um, Sonora which is like by the border. It was a very small town. Um, and I remember we got there, we were in a house and that's where we met the coyote. And the coyote basically prepped us and basically told us, you know, in the morning, we're going to leave. You guys are going to leave all your bags here. Um, you know, no questions asked. Just follow me. Don't make noise. Like just basic things like that. Um, it was my mom and my brother. So I know that like my mom was pretty scared because she was, you know, a woman with two children. Um, so what they did in that morning, they separated the men. I think it was like five men. They separated, they, they went through like a different, easier, but yet dangerous path um, through the desert. And then my mom and all the other women with the kids that we went through the desert, um, which was kind of like an easier path because it was just more plain. But it was, it, we, we had a higher chance of getting caught. So, um, yeah, I remember the, the journey started. We walked for maybe like five hours under the really hot sun. 
Um, and I remember at some point we heard like men and horses. And now that I'm older, like I know that that was the border patrol. Um, we heard men and horses and we started running and we were hiding. I remember hiding for a while, like under like this big bush. And um, I remember when I was hiding, I was looking around and I saw a ton of like items that were left behind, a ton of like books, I mean, sorry, like toys and stuff like that, like kids toys or clothes and stuff. Um, and I remember like finally after like things were a little bit more calm, the coyote found us and told us, you know, at a certain time, there's a there's a road down there he pointed he's like there's going to be a truck that's going to come as soon as that truck comes you guys all run you guys don't look back just run get on get on get in the back and just lay there lay on top of each other and don't make a noise just run so i remember like kind of getting a little bit scared because like i felt like i was doing something extremely wrong um but I, in the back of my head, I kept, you know, remembering, like, I'm seeing my dad. Like, you know, this is what it takes. At any so, point, did you ask your mom, why are we walking through the desert? Like, why, why, do, why are we going this way? Or I don't, like, I, I think my mom's, like I, like, I remember asking at least once, you know, like, I'm tired. Like, why are we still, like, walking? And she, like, her response is just like, we're going to go see your dad. Like that was it, you know, I don't think, I don't think she wanted to explain that we were literally like doing something illegally, I guess. Um, and maybe I wouldn't have understood, understood that at that point. So I remember that truck came, we all ran. I was holding on to my little brother and we ran and uh, we were one of the first to get in. I think now looking back, I think the moms really wanted to make sure that their kids got in. Um, so uh yeah we were in there and then people started piling on top of me and then like kids were starting to cry and they were asking for their mom they were like calling their mom's name and we would hear the mom like respond back and then i remember like calling my mom and she wasn't responding and i kept calling her and calling her and calling her and then she finally you know she was like aquí estoy um so like that just calmed me and they covered us with the tarp and then the truck started moving. I can't remember for how long, um, maybe like a couple hours or something, but we did get stopped. We got stopped and it was border patrol. And I remember now my mom, as she uh, repeats the story, she says that um, they were asking the driver, like, where are you going? Like, what do you have in the back? And the driver was like telling them, oh, I have like, I have fruit, I have avocados in the back. And um the border patrol people they they did tap on the tarp and my my mom's leg got tapped but um for whatever reason they didn't uncover it they didn't see anything and then they just told the driver like keep going so they knew people were in there but we got lucky for sure um so when we arrived to finally the US it was in Phoenix um Phoenix, Arizona, we were at a trailer park for about like a week waiting for my dad to come pick us up. But was your dad in, in LA of, at that time? My dad lived in Orange County. Yeah, in Anaheim, Orange County. Um, so with my dad though, so we, we were one of the last families to get picked up because my dad actually had no idea that we were coming. 
um, when my mom made that phone call, he couldn't believe it um, that we were actually already here. And she knew that if she had told him before that she wanted to come, he would have said no because um, of, you know, how dangerous it is. But um, before we got picked up, uh, the ice actually came inside the trailer, the trailer that we were staying in. And they were, they caught almost everyone. Like we hid inside the shower curtain, behind the shower curtain. And again, for whatever reason, they never opened up that shower curtain and we didn't get caught. It was like us. And then I think one more family, but everyone else had, they, they got deported. Um, so um, I remember my dad was finally able to come and get us. He didn't have a car. He didn't have a, an actual place where he was staying. And that was something that my mom was really upset about later on. Um, and because I think in Mexico, like at least where I'm from, we hear like the term like, you know, in Mexico, um, you, like there's a lot of jobs, like there's a lot of money, like there's big houses, like everyone is rich mm. or whatever. So I think my mom kind of, for whatever reason, also thought like my dad had it together. Yeah. And we arrive here and you know it wasn't it was the complete opposite of that um so I remember meeting my dad it, it wasn't what I was expecting either he was I mean a total stranger um when, I didn't how old were you when your dad moved um to the U.S. I was three I was three years old when my dad left but when so you saw I him he was like he, had he, he changed he was, or like he just like he, I, yeah um my dad his first years in the u.s they were hard for him he got into he was like he got into drugs and alcohol so um he looked very different he had like a full grown beard like he wasn't dressed he was dirty um he was probably like hungover or something um so that wasn't the happy person that i remembered um so when you know he was able to get someone to uh, borrow him a truck to Arizona so he picked us up and when we arrived to um, California I remember he got out to get gas and I wanted to kind of spend time with him so I went with him and I wanted to see you know I was I mean at the end of the day I was a child and I was so excited in general like this was all new to me um, so I wanted to go and see how like the stores looked inside and just like things like that like the gas station so I remember he was getting gas and then he called someone through a payphone and he was putting in coins. And I was asking him like, you know, like what what is that called in English? And then he told me, so he like the quarter, he was like, this is like Cora. So yeah. for me, like the Cora was, that was my first English word. And yeah. I always just like remembered that. Um, but when we, when we finally got to the place where he lived, he was, he was living inside a garage um, in the back of someone's house with maybe like four other men. And the way that they were dividing the space was like through curtains. Um, and there was like rats and possums inside. And I remember our first night was just horrible because um, it was something even worse than how I was living in Mexico. I mean, in Mexico we had our little house, you know, mm. as small as it was, it was clean. It was, you know, we had some walls and we came to a place where it was like, like we're basically homeless. Um, How did that make you so, feel? Because like, I feel like the, the, the drive that kind of like kept you going <clears throat> was the fact that you were going to go see your dad. 
right? That was mm -hmm. that excitement, like, we're going to go see your yeah. dad. You got there. You know, the situation was not, I, I'm pretty sure, that what your mom was expecting and what you were expecting. Mm -hmm. So as a yeah. five-year-old kid, how did that make you feel? I, my excitement definitely only lasted a day. Um, I wanted to go back right away. I was like, okay, we saw my dad, let's go back, you know? Like, I want to go back to my grandma's house. Like, I want to go back to my dogs and my cousins and my toys. Like, I don't want to sleep next to a rat. <laughs> um, so I, I instantly grew a lot of anger towards my dad. For sure. Um, I mean, my mom cried all night and um, it was, it was really rough. It was like, it was really rough, like, I, like two, three months. It was really hard because I know like my mom was pushing my dad to look for a better job, like look for a place to rent. And I mean, I was like, you know, at the end of the day, my dad was undocumented. And back then I think um, being undocumented was a lot more um, like, I think a lot of people didn't want to be known as being undocumented, especially yeah. in Orange County. Um, so I think he was just really afraid to look around and um, like find resources for help. Um, so when you that got was there, that. when you mm -hmm. got there, what was your dad's job at the time? Do you remember? He, yeah, my dad was like, a, um, he he used to clean like parking lots. Like he he had like a blow. I don't know what's it called. Like a, a blow uh, something. Blow a leaf blower. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's I remember him saying. So it wasn't steady either, and he would go to work drunk. So you know, it wasn't anything serious to him. So you know, like I I actually just i i would say i hated the the u.s i hated el norte um because that's that's not even that, that was my home um mm -hmm. so yeah so then from there um the people that lived in the front of the house because you know i said I, we lived in, in the garage for the people that lived in, in the front of the house they were actually one of the nicest people we're we're pretty close to this day they're part of my family now um they had a, a daughter that was my age. So, um, and then inside the house, another undocumented family lived in there. So it was like three kids of the same age and we all went to the same school. So I was very lucky that um, my first day of kindergarten because the, the year still hadn't ended. Uh, I knew two people, um, but I remember my first day of kindergarten, it was really scary too because I was crying all day and my teacher was white and I had no idea what she was saying. I remember like telling her in Spanish, like, please like talk to me in Spanish, please, please like talk to me in Spanish. And I remember her just like rubbing my shoulder and she was like, it's okay, it's okay. But then all the other little kids, all the little white kids, they were looking at me like, what the heck, <laughs> like, who is this kid? Um, but there were a, like some Latinos, like some Mexican kids in there too. and they kind of helped me a little bit um and in the course of those two two months from april to june i was able to learn my alphabet my numbers my colors like certain my the pledge of allegiance mm -hmm. that the teacher told my mom you know like we don't well it, an interpreter told my mom we like we don't have to flunk him like he he's actually at a pretty good level where he could move on to first grade so um, that was like a big relief because for me, that meant I'm still going to be with my neighbors, yeah. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. my friends. Yeah. The people that helped me. Um, 
So that was cool. Um, I was in ESL uh, tutoring for like two years, but by the time I was in third grade, I was at a normal level of English. Um, I think I, I, uh, I always had a big desire for like learning and just kind of like being in school and stuff. In Mexico, you know, I loved going to kindergarten. So here it was the same thing. I loved school so much. And I think for me at that time, growing up and being in elementary school, I'd rather be in school than back home where it, we weren't in the best condition. Um, eventually we did move to a small house and my dad's like, we rented like a room in there. But um, I think still it wasn't ideal just cause I missed like back home. All yeah. you know, we, we didn't have anything. And I, I was picking up on that. I, I saw how, how unhappy like both of my parents were, you know, um, my mom had to work now, something that she didn't do in Mexico. She had to have, she had to get two jobs. My dad was still struggling with his addiction. So um, it was a rough childhood. And so then for me, like growing up, I think seeing how my dad and mom were seen through society as like undocumented and they didn't have the best jobs. I shut down and didn't do enough research growing up. And I believed that I was going to have that same exact life that they had in the U.S. You know, um, like I mentioned earlier, like when I was in high school, I didn't, I never once thought like from freshman year to like 11th grade, I never thought I was going to go to college. You know, I had to do like when we had assignments to do on like where you want to go to school or what do you want to be when you grow up? It was always like fake, like fantasies for me because I knew I wasn't, you know, or at least I thought, so I would just kind of pretend that, you know, I, I was like everyone else, like no one knew throughout my elementary school, middle school, and high school that I was undocumented, like I was so like embarrassed of it. Um, my parents, I think they did a good job uh, by sending us to um, schools where they, uh, I guess they were, I guess, good schools. Um, where they like I went to a charter school and they had like better resources than my actual like high school here in, in my community that um I stayed away from trouble but it was definitely really easy to get into trouble where I grew up um I mean eventually from living in Orange County we moved to the LA County in a very small town named Wilmington um and I mean there's a lot of like drugs and violence and crime here in Wilmington uh, I think like I could I could easily point at all of the gangsters around the corner and I know all of them because I went to school with them what so, kept um, you out of that life Chris if you don't mind me asking I think honestly yeah what, what really kept me out of that kind of life was because I held so much resentment towards my dad and the lifestyle he gave us at first that I was like I'm not gonna be like him like there's no way because because you know like I miss my family I miss Mexico so bad like I'm not I refuse to get into that you know yeah. um so for me like I used it more as a fuel to motivate myself and I I always told myself there's no way I'm going to be like my dad there's no way mm -hmm. so um I joined like clubs in high school like I got myself a job when I was 16 um at a McDonald's because I didn't have a social security back then so I worked at a McDonald's and they were they did their magic and they, they were paying me like under the table um, for a while. 
actually uh, yeah i guess like there's a way you can kind of mess with the system i don't know um so i was able to work under the table at mcdonald's so that always kept me away from being home outside of my door where there was all these mm-hmm. you know people like that you. would invite me to join you know um but uh yeah i think um i think my i wouldn't change anything honestly and because eventually like my dad right now as of right now he's i think like 12 years sober um i think because he was able to stop going down that path i uh i was able to go to college too because i I think when i first learned that i did have a possibility of achieving a higher education i was so scared to leave my mom with Mm -hmm. a drunk dad dad. yeah (laughs) yeah I was like, no, like he, no, I'm not going to leave him or my brothers. You know, I, everything I've done is for me and my brothers, you know, when I graduated high school and college and all that, like, I've always told my parents, like, this is for you guys too. Um, Cause they didn't get to go to school. My dad stopped going to school in, when in second grade and my mom stopped after middle school. So for me, like their, my education was theirs too. Um, so yeah i think i think that's yeah so you know you you've talked a lot about like you know you you were not you didn't like the u.s you felt that this was not your home and that you wanted to go back to mexico at what point did that change what did that drift came about like hey you know i'm already here i should just not get used to it but like i'm not going back to mexico and so might as well live here and get used to the, the place right when did you yeah. feel that you made the u.s your home yeah um i think so at, for me and like many other families we came we left our homes because of the conditions that we were living in you know back in mexico so like if, even though i had everything which is family and a home we lived in a very like dangerous place um so I think when I knew like being in the U.S. is the safest place for me was after just getting family members killed. You know, um, two of my bro- two of my mom's brothers got killed because of gang violence. Um, so, and then my both of my grandmas already passed away. One of my grandpas already passed away. All of my cousins right now they're all married with kids. Everyone's already kind of like scattered all over. Mexico that now like I really don't have anywhere to go you know um so I think I think that was one of the reasons why it kind of clicked on me that my like constant like saying of I'm gonna go back I'm gonna go back it kind of just stopped because now it was like what am I gonna go back to everyone is gone um and one big reason too is like getting access to higher education because um i you know because of daca because of like the dream act i can be part of this society that i felt like i was never a part of you know like i'm like i'm so fortunate like regarding or not regarding all of the struggles like i have a degree you know something that not many people were that have where i come from um i can have a good future you know i can be successful um i'm safe here you know like i might not be the richest or the 
like the most successful yet but like I'm much more safer here as in, in terms of like survival than going back to Uduapa Michoacan you know um so and then I think as my brothers were getting older too and they were following my steps I couldn't like all of that work that I did even though it was for me it, it was also for them I couldn't just like throw it away because it would definitely be kind of throwing it away um and I mean my parents still want to go back to Mexico um and I I can I'm not gonna uh convince them not to like I know that they miss where they grew up and you know all of that but uh I know that I couldn't like I wouldn't be able to fully live there I do want to go back so bad and I can't wait for that to happen but in terms of, of living, I just don't see my, like, my path and my career actually coexisting in Mexico. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I feel like that's a lot of the things people don't understand. And that's why I asked you that. Because, mm -hmm. you know, like, like you said it, you said it very well, like, um, the time passed by and people either got married, you know, moved away as well, uh, or in that case that, you know, they died because of gang violence, you know, especially with the cartels and things like that. And, you know, I think that's a big important thing to say that even if you wanted to go back, it wouldn't be home anymore because mm -hmm. your family is here, like your immediate family is here, right? Yeah. So I think yeah. people, it's important for people to understand. When did you realize that, that you were undocumented and that your life was a little bit different? You kind of like went over it about like the difference between you and your brother, but mm -hmm. you directly, when do you know that okay, you know what, like, um, my life's a lot different because of my yeah. status. When did you really learn about your status and really, like, sunk in? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, like, growing, growing up, I always knew that, you know, I came from Mexico, you know, I, I think kind of, like, just, you would hear, like, chatter and, and, you know, in your neighborhood or whatever about, like, oh, you know, they're going to take your kids away, if, like, you leave them at home, like, things like that, because, like, you're not from here. But really when it like sank to me that I was different was in ninth grade in high school. I remember we had a, we had to do a project on um, like, a, a, like where did we want to go to college? And when the teacher was calling everyone and asking everyone where they wanted to go. And then for me, like one, I knew I wasn't going to go or that's what I thought, but I just kind of said the first college that came to my mind and it was like a nearby college. It was like El Camino College. So, so I said it, I was like El Camino College. And then the, the teacher actually outed me in front of everyone. And he almost like giggled and he's like, oh no, you can't go to college. Like you're, you're an immigrant, like immigrants don't go to college. And then like, I remember like kids were kind of like laughing and they probably thought like he was joking, but I knew that he wasn't. And um, he, and then he asked me too, like, like where, like where does your dad work? And then back, by, uh, back then my dad was working in like construction and he's like, that's where you're gonna go. Like you're gonna go to construction university. And like, he just kind of laughed. Now this, um, this is, is this a, a white teacher? Um, this is a white teacher. And was yeah. the class, was the classroom like mainly like white or? White, yeah. yeah. The classroom was mainly white, yeah. So I think I think because they were mainly white and maybe not very knowledgeable of the actual like circumstance, mm -hmm. they kind of laughed about it. And you know maybe because I was the only Mexican kid maybe in there, and they thought like yeah that's what you kind of tell Mexicans. I don't know. Mm -hmm. They thought it was a joke. 
but for me, like, it wasn't a joke. And then because of him, I believed that for such a long time, that he was right, that I I actually couldn't go to college. So, yeah. and that was at the very beginning of, like, high school, too. So all throughout, like, ninth grade, 10th grade, end of 11th grade, like, I always remembered that, that he said I couldn't go. And because I didn't know any other undocumented kid mm-hmm. other than myself and my brother I couldn't I didn't know that you know there was such thing as you know going to college to and college, like yeah. the dream act so I guess that's when I really knew like I, I'm different so did you grow up in like a an area where like there was like mainly um white people or like or why was your school mainly white the only reason I asked yeah. is because, like, I grew up in Simi Valley, in the, in, which is in Ventura County. Um, even though they're, they're, I would say, like, 80% white, uh, I would say, I would say 70% white, and the rest was, like, either Latino or Black. Um, so there was a lot of, la, like, Latinos um, where I grew up, uh, and that was in, in Ventura County. So the school where you went, was it just, like, mainly white, or was it, like, a good school? Yeah. Yeah, it was. Um, I think, I think because my mom was kind of so afraid of getting us in the mix with the other Latinos, ever since like in Orange County, Anaheim, like my there, I it was all white people and just like one or two Mexican or Latinos in that class. So then when we moved to Wilmington, even though Wilmington is probably ninety percent Latinos, I didn't go to like. The middle school in Wilmington. I didn't go to the high school in Wilmington because, be, unfortunately, the stereotypes of like, oh, it's that school. Like they all turn into gangsters, or mm. like your kids are gonna be bad. My mom was so afraid of that to happen, and because she knew that it didn't only mean they're gonna turn into gangsters. It meant like these kids have no future, and they're like, they're not gonna go to like college so might as well kind of take them to a good college so they can kind of get a kind of good job maybe so um yeah my, when I went to middle school I did go to a middle school in like Rancho Palos Verdes which is all white people like mm-hmm. and because I was out of the ESL program I wasn't placed in the classes with other Latinos I, I was placed in like the advanced classes like the gifted classes and and also like because I grew up, I guess, with like more white friends and Latino friends, I gravitated more towards them. So I had a ton of white friends. And then the very little Latino friends that I had growing up, they would make fun of me like, oh, like you're, you're whitewashed mm-hmm. and stuff. But I, because I, I guess I was so ashamed of being undocumented for so long, I rather be called whitewashed, whitewashed than an immigrant. An immigrant. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah so then in in middle school like I only kind of had only white friends I would only hang out with white friends so in high school like obviously you're older so you can kind of choose where you want to go a little bit yeah I was like I'm not I'm not going to banning like all of them are like gangsters you kind of start following that yeah the trend the trend yeah that I went to a charter school in San Pedro and it's a ton of like military kids a ton of like white kids um and like there are latino there were latinos in there and there still are but because i had all these white friends i didn't really hang out with the latinos um until when i was maybe you know towards the end of high school um and i was more accepting of who i was but i i always kind of denied it so it was more of a i'm ashamed who i am 
let me just hide it and blend in with the society that where I live, right? Kind of like yeah. Now you yeah. mentioned that incident with the with the professor, but was that the first time mm -hmm. you were called an immigrant, or that someone stereotyped you, or that someone made fun of you where you came from, or because of the color of your skin? Was that the first time, or? Uh, I I think that no, yeah, that I would say that was the very first time actually that it, it actually impacted me and it hurt me a lot. Uh, I, I I would hear like other comments like growing up, but they were never towards me directly mm -hmm. towards me. And because I was always like ashamed of it and no one really knew, I would also probably laugh with the joke. Um, but uh, in I mean, in elementary school, like I, I was always kind of made fun of because I couldn't pronounce certain words sometimes. So um, they were always be like, yeah, porque es de Mexico, like because he's from Mexico. Mm -hmm. um, but that didn't really mean anything back then. So it wasn't until I guess high school where I was like, okay, that hurt a lot. Hurt, yeah. So. Mm -hmm. So now, when, when when did you heard about, when was the first time you heard about DACA? And what were your reactions? Like, what was going through your mind? Yeah, um, so I remember uh, because I was running away from my roots all my life, uh, I got myself into a French, like, club, like, after high school. Mm -hmm. So I remember I was, I was in French club and that's where we learned the language and um after the club was over there was a group of kids that were talking about going to the boys and girls club because they were going to start applying for college so i remember they asked me if i wanted to go with them and because they didn't know my like status i kind of felt a little pressured but also very curious to see what that looked like that i was like yeah, i'll go with you guys so i went with them to the boys and girls club and they all had their own mentor and I thought that was super cool but I was just kind of hanging out in the back very jealous of them doing all of that and I remember one one of the mentors her name is Marcy she came to me and um she was like so where, where do you want to go to school like what do you want to do and I kind of just thought I was like oh like I'm not gonna go like I'm just here to like hang out and she's like why you know like how come like you, you can go, like you should go. And she told me like, what are you, what's your passion? And back then I really wanted to be a, a filmmaker. Uh, so I told her and um, she's like, okay, then like, let's sit down. Like, let's look at the top colleges, blah, blah, blah. And she didn't know my status. Mm -hmm. um, so I kind of like, I didn't tell her yet because this was the first time that someone was kind of telling me about college mm -hmm. and I wanted to hear all about it. So I sat with her, she like showed me the top colleges and all that. So then once like that, she was done, she's like, okay, like, like we should make your account, like, you know, this and that. So then I told her and I, and I was very like embarrassed. And I was like, I like, thank you for everything, but like, I can't go. And she's like, why? And then I, and then I told her, I was like, because I'm undocumented. And then she's like, so? Like, she was so like bubbly and happy. Mm -hmm. She's like, so you can still go. And I'm like, really? And then she's like, of course. And then like. Now, Chris, let she, me ask you. Um, you had yeah. just met, uh, was Mercy, right? You said her name? Yeah, yeah. So you had just met Mercy. Was was Mercy a white person? No, she was black. Okay. She was black. Okay. Yeah. Did you feel that she just didn't care about the color of your skin? She just wanted you to know who you were. And, you know, that's yeah. why she was so helpful. Yeah. Do you feel if, like. <laughs> If the, if the person at the Boys and Glove Club would have been white, you feel you would have gotten the same treatment or? 
I don't. I think. I I will say that I think I would have just because, in like that specific setting, those people really are there to help the students. Mm-hmm. It was like the Boys and Girls Club, the College Bound program, and you know there there were other like white mentors that I saw helping the Latinos and the black, like you know every color. So. Yeah. I felt very welcomed. And I think okay. because I felt very welcomed in that particular environment, I was so open to telling her, even though I had just met her, mm. that I was undocumented. What was that like so, for you? Like telling her I remember, like your status, yeah. and, you know, was he the first I, person that you told like your status or like, not, obviously you have like your friends probably knew or I'm not sure yeah. they did knew, but was that the first yeah. person that you like told? That was the first person that I told that knew that had a lot of interest in actually helping me. Yeah. Without even knowing me. Um, So I remember when she said like, no, like you're kidding. No, you can't go to college. Like, look at this. I'm like, I didn't really believe it at first. And then like, she pulled up like the California dream act. And I remember like, I just felt like so liberated. Like it was this big, Mm -hmm. like, feeling in my heart and like inside of that of me that I was like like oh like oh my god I, I can go like I can spread my wings like mm-hmm. there's there's opportunities for me um but I at the very same time I was thinking like I can't leave my mom <laughs> like she like my dad's a drunk like I yeah I can't leave my family like this, so there was so many other things like I was looking for so many excuses to still tell her like thank you for everything but like I'm not interested, but I, I like, I will say, and I, and I've told her still, and like, I, I still like keeping in contact with her. Like she really pushed me. Like she didn't let me get out of that seat until I believed that I could do it. You know, like she, she saw the look on my face. Like she, she told me that later on, she told me that she was, a, that I was the very first, like, like dreamer that she ever worked with. Um, and like, part of her mission as a person that helps that was to help me get into that that dream school so I remember um I told her still that I didn't want to go too far away from school and you know that I told her that I was really close to my family and how they meant everything to me that at that very uh, specific time CSUN Calston Arthridge was the best like Cal State um film school in my area Mm-hmm. so she's like it's not too far like let's get you into CSUN she's like you're gonna go to CSUN and then she's like say it and I was like oh, you know so she made me say it a couple of times until like I guess I sounded like I was actually convinced and she's like I promise you Chris like you're gonna go to CSUN so I remember like leaving the boys and girls club and like I like finally now that I was alone I was just crying like I was on my way to the bus stop and I was mm-hmm. just crying and I was also very nervous because I didn't know how to tell my mom that I could go to college because I knew she would be very scared and have all these questions that I still didn't know the answer to. Um, but yeah, I remember coming home and I told them. And the very first thing was like, oh, it's going to be too expensive. And I told them, you know, there's programs like like there's a lot of undocumented students that actually go to college. Mm-hmm. And like, so Marcy, like she she printed out like a sheet I remember of all these like successful dreamers that have made it out there you know she she showed me like the first lawyer to graduate like the first like doctor this and that yeah and I and things that I never even heard of uh so I remember like telling my mom like 
you know this is like this is a, this this is an actual chance yeah like it's not something that's like never gonna happen so um i think from there you know that's that's when i first heard for sure about the the dream act um i think daca was still something that i didn't learn until maybe a few months later because i was still working since i was working at mcdonald's i never really questioned more than you know how to get an actual social security yeah um, and because i knew that i didn't have the money to get a driver's license and i also never really looked into that so my focus was just to um make sure to get you know get into school um but so a little bit fast forward to that uh, when i learned about the daca was because of the community where i live it's um it's basically like the projects like where my parents live and they have a like a center for students and now that i could finally go to college i started going to that center so that i could learn how to you know fill out applications or scholarships that mentor her name is angie she's the one that taught me about the daca and she's the one that like told me you know if you're going to go to college then we have to make sure that you have your social security you have to make sure you can go to work and stuff so because of her um i was able to apply i didn't get a lawyer or any of that i know that like there's certain um situations where people do have to get like lawyers and all that mm -hmm. i basically it was her and i the first time we basically filled it out on our own and i was able to get you know my my driver's license and my work permit eventually how old were you at this time? So I was like 16, like 17 years old when I got my uh, my DACA status. Yeah. So when you and graduated high school, you were ready. Yeah, I was like ready. Your social uh, work permit. Yeah. To take right. Out. Yeah, yeah. Because I remember I was still in, I was still working at McDonald's my senior year, and I was telling my coworkers like, kind of joking around like, oh, like I'm gonna quit, like I'm finally be able to leave, and like go to college, get a, you know, get a, a better job um, that, you know, they were obviously really happy for me. So I had a really good like support system during that time. Cause I feel, and then at that time too, my dad had already stopped drinking. Um, like my brothers were older too. So like, I felt like my life was kind of aligning to a point where I could finally, you know, do things for myself only. Uh, so, yeah. Um. So you got into, obviously you got into season because you graduated, but mm -hmm. what made you switch from filming to journalism? You yeah. Don't mind okay. me yeah, yeah, no. Um, so yeah, I went to CSUN. I actually didn't go for a whole year. I had to stop going for a whole year. Um, and part of it was because although I did get into school and I was the first in my family living outside of my home for the very first time and doing college for the very first time with no one really to guide me um yeah. it was very hard you know like like i i wasn't like all of my or most of my college friends where it's like they didn't have a job and they don't they they have the dorms paid for like mm -hmm. i didn't you know for dream act at least back then it only covered for my financial aid but because I wanted to live in the dorms and I wanted to kind of feel the whole college experience, like I had to work. I had to, you know, I had to, I, at some point I had two jobs. My dad was helping me pay rent and living in the dorms, it's super expensive. Mm -hmm. um, so 
because I had so many other things like that made my first year so hard, I, I like, I explode, like, I don't know, I gave up. Um, and, you know, there's obviously so many other things that go into it, but um, I couldn't relate, like, I couldn't, even in my classes, like, as a, like, going into film classes, um, most of them were, like, white kids that had expensive, like, camera gear and had a ton of experience, had their uncles or grandparents or parents in, in the field already, um, in the industry that, I was just so discouraged. I lived mm-hmm. in the dorms with three other uh, students and they were all like, they were all older and they had a lot of experience too in filmmaking that I, yeah, I just didn't, like I lost the little spark in wanting to do that. So um, because I was going to work so much, I stopped going to certain classes. I, I was just so burnt out that um, by my second semester, my first semester of sophomore year, I was academically disqualified from CSUN um, because I had like a super low GPA and I couldn't continue. Um, so at that time, I, I was still renting an apartment and I couldn't tell my parents. I was so ashamed to tell them that what had happened. So I, um, I applied to go to community college, Pierce College in the Valley mm-hmm. um, because I was told by my mentors I was in EOP, um, so which is an educational opportunity program for like mm-hmm. first generation students. Um, so my, my mentor, he told me, you know, like you can come back to see some, like everything's not like over, like this is what you have to do. So he told me, you know, you have to get a an elective. It could be any class, and then you have to get like a like a required class. And he gave me a list of the class that I needed to take to you know to be able to come back for sure. And in that list, like they had like economics and history. So it was like very just kind of boring classes. And back then my my mentality was just kind of like, I've had it so hard. Like, I don't want to make it harder on myself. So journalism was in that, in that list. And I was like, I don't know what that is really, but I'm down. Like, it sounds kind of easy. Cause I asked him, he's like, and he didn't really know either. He's like, oh, it's just like, you just get to report on the news, like right what the news is or whatever mm-hmm. it's like oh that's fun okay um so uh I went to Pierce and I applied or I I um registered for journalism like 100 and then just like a random elective so for the very first time in my college career I got an A and it was in journalism because mm-hmm. I actually really loved the class um I you know I was so into it I remember staying after class talking to the professor like I was gonna get in he wanted me to get into like their their newspaper thing at Pierce but I knew that I was gonna go back to CSUN the next semester that I was like you know I I'm, I can't because I'm gonna go back to CSUN yeah but now I know what I want like now I know that I'm gonna change my major so that spark was back the spark was back yeah um but then the reason why I said that I didn't go to CSUN for a whole year was because when I passed the class, I got an A, got an A in the elective. I went back to CSUN admissions office, showed them my my report, my transcript. And the person was like, unfortunately, you took the wrong class. Like ju- that journalism class, like it's not, it's not- Transferable? One of our, transferable, there you go. And 
I remember just feeling so shattered because that meant that I couldn't go back that fall semester and that I had to wait until the next fall, but also go back to community college and actually take the required course. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I had to do. And then not only that, like I had so much like other weight, like now that I wasn't going to go to school for a whole year, at least like at CSUN, I wasn't going to stay in the Valley and still struggle to pay where I could just live like more comfortably with my parents. So that meant I had to tell my parents that, um, you know, that I got like, I kicked out. Um, so I, I mean, I did all that and it was really hard and I was at a very bad like place at that time. Um, because I just felt like I failed, you know, and then I have my brothers looking at, up at me all the time, but I just felt like I had failed so many people, but I knew that at least I knew what I wanted to do in college now, you know, which was journalism. So finally, you know, I, I got it together. I went to a, a community college that's like literally two blocks away from here, LA Harbor College. Mm-hmm. I got the right class and I was able to transfer a whole year later. But I think I really needed that year to like re-find myself, I guess, reinvent yeah. myself and, you know, and it's just, it's crazy. Cause like, even though I want to be a filmmaker throughout high school, like what I did, which was like being a storyteller, it's kind of essentially the same thing I do in journalism. So it wasn't like a completely, a completely different thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I, yeah, I was able to go back to CSUN a year, technically a year and a half later, cause I missed one spring semester then i missed a whole oh, year, year. Mm-hmm. so now you know you were back at season you know you had all those struggles you overcame those struggles you know it must have been hard telling your parents that you know you got kicked out but you you made it right you went back to school you graduated you got your broadcast degree what was it what was that feeling of you graduating being the first in your family to graduate being that example to your to your younger brothers getting that graduation for your for your family for your mom your dad your brothers what was that like for you yeah what was that first Um, experience like yeah I remember um ever since I came back to CSUN I had to meet with my mentor every single semester just to make sure that I was on track of my classes and my grades and my GPA so remember every semester so I, I was at CSUN for another two years two and a half years after that um I like it was always like not yet like not yet like you're almost there but not yet you know but um when I finally went for the last time with my mentor and it was a finally like okay you're graduating this semester you know like it's happening um it was like words that I, I waited for so long I mean since 2013 and now it was like 2018 so like five years later um I remember just kind of like I couldn't believe it at first because I'm like, no, there's going to be something wrong. There's going to be a class that I missed or, you know, things like that. Um, but when like going towards graduation date, um, I mean, that last year at CSUN, it was probably like my most life changing year because because um, I went to I interned in New York. I I was there for a whole summer in news so I you know I, I knew that I loved news so much um and then I came back to LA for my last year at CSUN and I interned for like CBS LA and then my last semester I, I interned for ABC7 um 
And then I was still employed through New York CBS News because I was helping um, one of our professors kind of like lead the internship program from here in Los Angeles. So I was so busy that final year that like, it finally felt that like I, I was doing something really good for myself, for my future. You know, I was setting myself up for like success. Um, but when things started getting really real about me graduating was kind of like ordering my sash and like just kind of like getting out the cap and gown and like telling my parents without being scared of letting them down that I was gonna graduate, you know, telling my brothers that I was gonna graduate. Um, uh, I remember telling like my dia because I do have one dia like now she like throughout the years she came she lives in like Santa Barbara so she's not that close to us like distance wise but like we always go visit her and like her family um telling them like I'm gonna be the first to graduate college in my entire family you know mm -hmm. um it was like a big way a big responsibility but obviously like super rewarding um I remember like just kind of feeling so included in the whole process for the first time was you know something very unique because I didn't get that whole process in high school you know like it was kind of just halfway um but it, you know like my like just kind of going to like getting your pictures taken at like the bookstore and things like that or like talking to your professors about, you know, how to get land your first job and, and having interviews for my first job. I was very lucky too to graduate with a job already lined up. I started my job two weeks after I graduated. So, um, you know, just kind of like going up that stage. I remember, um, like, I remember just kind of like, cause it's kind of like a little bit emotional. Like I remember, we're because you're we're told to like get in line with everyone else and like you're seeing all your friends and you're seeing all your professors and like you're all like you know looking nice and stuff with your cap and gown um I remember just like my family from Santa Barbara coming too and then I had one of my really good friends from like Las Vegas she came and obviously my my family here they were all like at CSUN like just kind of like there for me um I remember when we were walking to where we were gonna sit I looked up I looked up at the bleachers and I could just see like my family like my parents you know and I like at that very moment like everything that we just went through was just kind of flashing in my head you know like where we lived where we live now like all those struggles um and at the end of the day like I had them there with me at this very specific like special moment um it was like it's really hard to describe like you just felt like like you made it you know like you like made it um and I remember when like I got up and they were gonna you know call your name and stuff like the whole time like nothing literally like nothing existed but just like that little like spot in the bleachers like super mm -hmm. far away but like they were there um yeah and when they called my name like you hear obviously there's so many noise but like you could hear like your mom cheering for you like somehow you know um and I'm just like receiving like the like it's not even the diploma yet but like thing yeah um <laughs> and then I remember just kind of like raising it up and it was like for everyone like all of like my grandmas that couldn't make it like you know my tios that got killed you know like 
everyone that helped me along the way because I obviously like got a ton of help by a lot of people that really believed in me and I did it for my brothers too um I remember after the ceremony was done we were taking pictures and stuff and then just kind of like receiving that hug from your family because they're they're so proud of you yeah um it's just like I don't know it's it, like it, everything is just, it was so worth it yeah and I remember like my tia too like when she hugged me like she couldn't like let go of me and then she started crying and she was just like you know I'm so proud of you and stuff my parents were a little bit more quiet but I feel like they were just like they had so many emotions inside um, yeah that it was until after that like we all just kind of got together and did our own little crying session at um, any moment did you thought about that teacher that told you yeah you're not yeah. Go to college that that, you, yeah. that immigrants don't do that that that's not yeah every yeah, class did. your mind it did um throughout the whole ceremony actually because like i said when i was walking to my seat i was just kind of replaying every single little moment that i live here in the u.s um and i kept hearing his voice too and like kind of like the, the little giggle i told you about like the whole like you're not you know you're gonna go to like you're not gonna go to college like you're an immigrant things like that you're gonna go um, work in construction yeah you're gonna go work in construction and here i was graduating with the line with the job already lined up you know with my family here with me um and my brother my middle brother he's going to graduate this year too so it's, it was just like so many great accomplishments um that you know i think i proved a lot of people wrong and and I, and also i was thinking about all the other dreamers just like me you know that are just like struggling every day and they had to give up their dreams and probably at this very moment like they they wish they could come back you know and I mean, things happen, like life happens. I When I didn't come to school for a whole year, like I thought that was it for me too. Um, so I was just like, you know, this is for us. You know, we were so important um, and we, anyone can do it. And every time I talk about my experience, like I just hope that there's that one kid right now that like is questioning about their future and what they could accomplish and what they could like dream of. And I just hope I can spark some interest in like, you know, pushing them to actually um, pursue their dreams and believe that they're so capable of becoming whatever they want to become. Yeah. How, did, how did the program like DACA and the Dream, the Dream Act, how did that change your life? It, I, I think because I have a DACA status and the Dream Act, um, I was able to survive in this, you know, because if I didn't have it, I know that I was probably going to work in construction right now. Um, and not even saying that that's a bad job whatsoever. Like, you know, it's never a bad job. Any job's a job. But like, I would probably be already like with the family and just kind of like that, like following the stereotype of, you know, like not very successful, like not getting paid really well like coming home extremely tired, you know, um, just like actually struggling and being undocumented in this country and starting a family as an undocumented parent. Like, I'm just so thankful that that's not like the life I have right now. Um, yeah. Cause that's a much harder life too. 
Um, so definitely it changed my life in that way that it gave me the opportunities to dream for something bigger for something bigger. Yeah. Awesome. Um, now let me ask you the, um, um, as you being part of the news, right? <clears throat> like you being part of the news, you have to stay obviously neutral. You know, you just have to stay the unbiased, unbiased uh-huh. be unbiased. How does that feel when you cover your immigration when you cover your community how does that affect you like especially like being a dreamer like when you have to do like coverage on dreamers and when you hear like comments like they just need to go back to their country you know they this is not their home but it's clearly your home right because you were five years old you know like you're 25 you've been living here for 20 years for someone to say that's not your home and you know you being part of that news how do you do that how do you balance that yeah yeah um that's a good question uh, i remember I remember being a little hesitant um, about doing news at first because I never wanted to be in a position where I had to report or write a bad like or or pick a thought or pick you know pick a, a soundbite from someone that was talking bad things about me. Like I never thought I would be able to do that at first. But um, when I started when I started doing when I started journalism, like at first I wanted to do like entertainment news. But um, when we, when America selected or voted for President Trump, um, I think that's what sparked my interest in actually wanting to be a voice for all the, the unheard communities, all of the, um, you know, immigrant communities and Latino communities that uh, I knew that I had a bigger job, obviously outside of my own opinion. So it was hard at first when I started my job and, you know, I, Working in Bakersfield, it's a very red community. It's very Republican. Clint County is very Republican. So it, it was kind of like a culture shock to me that so many people where I lived, where I worked, actually were against me, like who I was. Um, but I mean, I think just kind of being a professional and just remaining, you know, unbiased about what's happening and just kind of reporting the actual facts then you know it kind of gets better it kind of you kind of just grow numb in a way um you know like I think I've learned being a news and a producer like just kind of say the truth so if you know there's a person that's against my community I mean if that's what they said that's what they said like I can't change the the dialogue like that's what they said so that's what I'm going to write um but I think as being a good a good producer or a good journalist you always have to show the other side of the story always. So even when there, there were a lot of negative comments about like the Latino community, as a journalist, I always found the other side and, and vice versa too. When there was a, a thing about like how great the Latino community was, I had to find the other side too. Um, but that comes with time and I'm still not like a hundred percent like an expert on it. I mean, I think, um, one of my, I was talking to one of my friends the other day and with having Joe Biden as our current president, um, they asked me how I felt, you know, actually being the producer during that same moment. Cause I was, a, I was producing my show when he was getting sworn, sworn in. And for the first time, I actually felt like I was part of the whole movement, you know, that I was part of you know what was happening that I felt like I had someone that was kind of representing me and my community 
Um, even that, though you know, like him, right? Even though you couldn't vote even, for him, even though I couldn't vote for him, yeah, exactly. Like I remember, even during elections, um, I, I think I'm a big like. I think I, people know that I'm a dreamer. People know, like I, I'm very, like transparent about it now. Mm-hmm. Even though, like we talked about how I, I was kind of neglecting it throughout my whole life, now I'm not. You know, I'm an open book. So I remember pushing my friends to get to register to vote, to go vote, to like vote for like a better future and stuff so like even though i wasn't part of the voting process like you said and i didn't physically vote for joe biden i was really excited and i still am and i'm very hopeful that things will get better for my community um for my people and you know just kind of watching him get sworn in and not only him but like like Kamala Harris and stuff and just kind of like other brown and colored people it was kind of a very special moment um but I think I kind of digressed on my answer to your question right there I'm no sure. no it's fine um <laughs> yeah um, um but I think it's important though like for you to bring that stuff up because overall like you said like you know that representation and you know like feeling yeah. like you're part of the community feeling like you're part of uh, the country you know that's important yeah that yeah that we are no longer a minority you know the, the latinos not, not just mexican in, in general but like latinos overall we're not yeah. the minority anymore um, i the, the way i try to focus it on is i remember when i had to do pick a passion and i was like well i want to do soccer and my professor was like that's not your passion and i was like yeah it is and he's like you could live without soccer like think about something you can really think not live without yeah. right and i was like well my family it's like what about your family yeah. he's like well my i'm really close to my family and he kind of like made me realize that how important it is but i, I remember mm-hmm. telling him i was like well i don't just want to focus about like latinos like i want to focus about like immigrants from all over the world that's always been like my thing right like that's an nice. immigrant uh-huh. is not like, just someone from latin america you know like right. one of my really good friends he is from albania you know and he was lucky that wow. he won a lottery but he's still an immigrant he's he's here legally but he's still an immigrant like you know he grew mm-hmm. up in He's from Albania. He grew up in Greece and now he lives in the U.S., you know? Wow. He is an immigrant, you know, like mm-hmm. and in Greece, he was an immigrant. And mm-hmm. so that's that's where I kind of want to focus it on, right? right? When I think about like what I'm doing and what I want to do is like, yes, I want to represent my community, but also like other communities, right? Understand yeah. their struggles and things like that because yeah. at the end of the day, like those struggles are pretty like online and people will relate to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but the last thing I want to ask you, Chris, um, it's kind of like the last question I asked in the show, is if you could def- if you could describe your journey, you know, from like coming from you know from from migrating from Mexico to being here to going to school to being like racially profiled to graduating at season to to landing your first job to producing the the job of like Joe Biden getting sworn in, like if you could describe that whole experience um, with one word, what would it be and why? You asked me earlier about that, to think about that word. And honestly, I'm having a little bit of a hard time thinking about just one word. Um, but the one that I think I can just kind of relate to the most is just like hopeful. Um, I think what made me stay, you know, grounded and just kind of like push myself for the next level was the hope that I have. You know, I think I always at the end of the day very deep inside of me I had so much hope for this whole thing you know like come like when I think about when I was walking through the desert 
I had hope to see, you know, like my dad and like to have a better life and stuff, like live in a big house or whatever. Um, like graduating high school only, like I had so much hope in that too, to like be the first one to graduate high school in my entire family. Um, I remained so hopeful and I still remain so so hopeful. I think that's what keeps me sane right now too, that I have so much hope for the future, so much hope for like our generation and the future generations. Um, there's so much hope for us dreamers. Um, I think things will get better, things will get easier, um, but it, it'll, it'll only happen, I feel like, if we remain with hope. Um, so I think that would be the word. Cool. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it makes sense. You know, it seemed like you, throughout your whole journey, you were very hopeful, you know, and, and that drive that you had that kept you going uh, was yeah. important, you know, and I think, you know, the reason I wanted to, to do this episode um, and kind of hear the story of someone else at the same time, because I could have just shared my story, right? Um, right. But it's insane because, like, you, t- you tell me your story and it's, there's so many things that align. Similarities. That, mm-hmm. Similarities, right, that I'm listening to, I'm like, yeah, you're right, you know. I myself, you know, I'm 28, I'm about to turn 29. I still have a lot of like trouble saying that I'm a dreamer or that I have a work permit, you know, things like that. Um, a lot of people just think that I was born here. You know, they, they look at me and I don't know if it's because I'm a little bit light skinned than most uh, Latinos, um, but I mean, I have an accent. So it, that's always a big giveaway. Um, but, you know, like I always felt that people knowing my status and things like that will make me vulnerable or that afraid of like they'll target me because of that right yeah so hearing your story is really inspiring you know just me listening to your story so if if someone let's say that's still struggling um to kind of accept who they are like as a dreamer as an undocumented as an immigrant what is something that you would say to them i mean honestly i think i think it comes down to just like fully accepting yourself because the moment I started talking about who I am as a person and like accepting myself as like my status people come to you because they're so curious about how they could survive in this whole thing you know and I think I think it it kind of like lifts a big weight on your shoulder because I felt that I was scared too to like tell people because they were going to target me because then I was going to be vulnerable, but it was a complete opposite. Like, I think right now it's like 2021 outside people are genuinely, I want to believe that they're genuinely like kind hearted people um, at the end of the day. And like, they're going to want to hear your story because it'll inspire them. And I think right now, a lot of what this world needs is like inspiration. So, you know, I think, I think you should just kind of like for you and like everyone else that, is having a hard time with that like just take it day by day and like really just kind of like accept your whole thing you know like there's only one of you you know and there's someone else that has a very similar story than you and I'm sure that they would connect with you in so many ways and and find that inspiration because even me hearing you that like we have similarities in our like lives or or timelines like then it make it gives me it gives me a little bit of inspiration too that I keep going because then you know then I'm kind of doing something right you know like I'm kind of like there's there's so much more to come and I'm not the only one 
And, and I felt like I was the only one for such a long time until I started speaking up about who I am. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I think like overall, it's, it's that like speaking out about, and that's like, I feel like that's the only big difference that I can find in our stories. Um, mm-hmm. And it's that, the, the fact that you, like I, I had my group of friends that were Latinos. Yeah. Uh, I, I did have white friends, um, but we had a group of federal Latinos. And yeah. the reason why was because like we knew the majority of us were undocumented and mm-hmm. you know, we kind of like knew, you know, I remember like when the older kids in high school, they were like, okay, so I'm already working. They were like, okay. Um, I was like, how'd you get a job? Like, first of all, like, you know, like, and then, and they yeah. kind of like, okay, you gotta get a fake social. You gotta get like an ID card. Uh-huh. But it's like, kind of like they, they like, they go through it and then they kind of like guide you. Um, yeah. But, but I, 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 I never thought about like, maybe not no one else knowing you thinking that you're the only one i never thought i was the only one you know mm-hmm. that i always had but i always knew that we were targeted as even by other latinos in our yeah. high school you know latinos that were first generation were born here we were targeted as you guys are immigrants you guys are not from here um so yeah. it's interesting for you to say that because you know i feel like every story is different and you know we're not just uh, um and i just want to say this but we're not just a fact which is not a, a number, like, oh, number of immigrants across the border. You know, we're actual people, you know? Um, yeah. This country are. was built on immigrants. And yeah. for us to just start deciding who should come and who should not, and it's, it's, not, it's not fair. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, it's not fair. Yeah. But well, it will get better. It will. Hopefully, it will get better. You know, yeah. like you said, hopeful. That's the only thing that we can do, stay hopeful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anything else, Chris, that you'd like to add? Um... No, I think I think that was it. I got pretty deep in yeah. some topics. <laughs> Thank um, you. No, I, I I appreciate that. I feel like a lot of it was like, yeah. Really, really. I think it's important. Yeah, I think it's just important to share the story. Um, and it goes back to just telling you and, and pushing you to share your own story. Yeah. Um, because it will definitely inspire a lot of people too. Chris could have not ended the show with a better quote. It is important for us to share our stories so other people can come forward. And that is the reason why I started First Time Talk. So here we are now, first timers, the end of the journey. Luis and I want to thank you for listening to the stories of our guests and hope they were able to help at least one person dealing with the issues discussed in this season. And I want to make something clear. This is not a goodbye. This is a see you soon. So don't forget to follow us on your favorite social media platforms at First Time Talks where we will update you about our next project. Till next time, first timers.